Okay, uh, please turn your Bibles to Jeremiah chapter 29, the Old Testament, Jeremiah. You know, an exile is a person who just does not live in the true homeland that they belong to, um, and there's going to be a certain amount of discomfort if you're in that position. And I think this, this current time of discomfort that we're living in here and now is supposed to be evidence to us that, like we sing in the songs sometimes, this world is not our home uh, because we speak and we live a message about a crucified Lord. Um, and we're waiting for a new heavens and a new earth. We're not waiting to invest ourselves in the worldliness around us we're waiting for God Um, and so I'd like to focus on a passage this morning from the Old Testament that just helps us understand how we are supposed to live in exile in this world because even in ancient times before Jesus came you know God's people have pretty much always identified with this status you know we talked about Abraham a lot this morning he was called out of Ur, out of his original homeland, to go to a foreign place. Um, and he kind of wandered around. His children wandered around until they came to Canaan. Actually, uh, those Israelites were exiled away from Canaan to Babylon and to Assyria. And so, uh, exiledness has been kind of a state of our identity from the very beginning. And and so in Jeremiah 29, this is picking up after King Nebuchadnezzar has come in about 597 B.C., and he has taken a wave of captives back to his homeland with him. And Jeremiah, what he does is he writes those captives a letter, actually kind of a series of letters, and give some instructions about that. So what we're ultimately going to get out of this, as Christians reading this text, is that we're to seek Jesus because he's our only true security. Um, okay, so let's go ahead and, and read this together. We're going to start. We're going to start in verse one. Um, but the first point that we're going to talk about is that even in exile you can still carry out your purpose to bless the nations. And that's going to especially be clear from verses 4 to 7. But we'll start in verse 1 to get a little bit of the context here. These are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders of the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This was after King Jeconiah and the Queen Mother, the eunuchs, the officials of Judah and Jerusalem, the craftsmen and the metal workers had departed from Jerusalem. The letter was sent by the hand of Elsa, the son of Shaphan, Gemariah, the son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to Babylon, to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. It said, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Uh, Take wives for your sons. And give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. 
multiply there and do not decrease, but seek the welfare of this city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. So in 47, again, this is the point. You can still carry out your purpose to bless the nations. You know, I, I think that when the Jews were taken to Babylon, a lot of them probably thought, well, we just can't be Jews here anymore. <laughs> Because we've been removed from the promised land that God gave to our ancestors. We don't have access to the temple anymore, uh, God's dwelling place in Jerusalem. And we can't worship the Lord according to what the law of Moses says. But God's telling them here through this letter that Jeremiah writes, is no, you can absolutely still be Jews in this foreign land that you're now a part of because... Fundamentally, what was a Jew supposed to do? Um, He was to, going back to the original promise that God made Abraham at Genesis 12, uh, you can look at that verse, and part of that verse says, you're going to bless all the nations, and you, all the families of the earth, shall be blessed. Um, So God's family was supposed to be his gift to everybody else. And so maybe, yeah, the Jews couldn't worship at the temple, they couldn't keep the feast days, they couldn't do other Jewish things anymore in Babylon, but they could still fulfill their original role for Abraham's family. So that's what gives these instructions weight that we just read together. So why are they supposed to uh, be in this godly land, a godless land among these people who have persecuted them? Why are they supposed to work the land? Why are they supposed to construct houses and marry spouses and have kids? Why are they supposed to carry on with, uh, with their lives when everything has been disrupted? Well, the answer to that is this, because their guiding goal has not been disrupted. In a sport think about our lives, our lives have been put on hold in many respects, and hopefully, you know, the governor is going to tell us pretty soon that that we can start easing up on a lot of these restrictions that have bound us, Uh, but our Christianity um, can never be put on hold, Uh, and you think about what we have been called to do in service to our communities, it's been kind of challenging. It's been kind of hard. Uh, you know, the self-isolation and the social distancing is is draining, um, even for those of us who kind of lean more toward the introvert side of the spectrum. Uh, when you talk about wearing masks, uh, I find that to be uncomfortable and even a little bit dehumanizing. Uh, not assembling in one building to praise our God and worship has been hard on us, especially on days like this, where uh, the one avenue that we have uh, to try to see each other isn't even working, right? Um, so why why should we serve our communities in the ways that we are called to do? Well, at a minimum, we're doing all those things uh, during this pandemic in order to keep ourselves and our families safe, but hopefully our motives are also going to be driven by the needs of other people in the community. And this kind of back to 
and and Steve and I just sometimes think so in sync because I was going to quote from Philippians 2, 4 as well, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Why? Because Paul goes on to say that's exactly what Jesus Christ did for us. Did he come down here? Did he teach us? For three and a half years and suffer and die on a cross because he thought it was the greatest fun that he could have? No. <laughs> he left the glory of heaven in order to do that. Now, he, he thought completely about our interests. That's why he was here. So so this, this is so applicable. Our American liberties, what we kind of hold up to ourselves as this is my right in my country, our physical comforts, our, even our emotional comfort, that all of that has to take a back seat to our foremost responsibility to bless the nations. Because this is this ancient purpose of the Jews that we read about in Genesis 12, that's not just for the Jews. That is also still the purpose of the people of God. And the changing of the covenants has not changed that purpose in the least. And, the, and I know that for, for sure, because in Galatians 3, when Paul writes to the churches of Christians in Galatia, in chapter 3 of that letter in verse 8, he quotes from Genesis 12, 3, and says, that's that's talking also about us, as, as God's people in Jesus. But now... Now, the faithful Jew, Jesus, has come, and we can now fulfill that purpose. Um, uh, James, did you have something to say, or were you just piping in with amen? Just amen. Oh, okay. (laughs) All right. So, all this to say, our lives as Christians are far, uh, it, it goes far more Our purpose is far deeper than just becoming better people and then going to heaven after we die. It is about that, but even more than that, it's about blessing the nation. And we can do that right now before we go home to our true homeland. Now, exactly how we do that is just beyond the scope of what we can do this morning in one sermon. But having said that, I want to for a brief moment, focus on the application Jeremiah makes in chapter 29, verse 7. What does he tell the exiles to do to bless the nations? How do they accomplish that purpose? Well, he tells them to pray for the place where they live. Because their welfare, and that's the Hebrew word shalom, which means peace, completeness, ultimate satisfaction... That your shalom is tied to the shalom of your community. So God's people are not to view themselves as disconnected from the world, insulated inside a comfortable little spiritual box. Um, and one way that we, we don't you know, do that, fall into that trap, is we pray. So what do our prayers look like? You know, um, Eric's been leading us through Timothy, and First Timothy 2 clearly says, you know, pray for your leaders. Um, And so I appreciate that I often hear uh, those of us in this congregation in our public prayers praying that our government leaders on state and local levels make wise decisions. And and yes, that is absolutely what we should be praying for. But also, are we praying, 
that God is going to bring healing to the areas of our culture that really need it? You know, are we also praying that God drives out racism out of more and more hearts of Americans? I think the recent shooting in Georgia is just a public demonstration of the fact that that is a very real part of our culture right now. Are we praying that God heals the division and the hatred that was really bad before this pandemic even started, and now it's just growing to even more of a fever pitch? You know, it's one thing to post on social media about the state of the world, but it's another thing to pray to the Lord diligently for its welfare. We need to remember our purpose, that in our exile we can bless the nations. That's one good way to do that. So the second idea that I want to talk about is from um, a lot of different parts of chapter 29, Jeremiah, and that is this uh, this instruction from the Lord to not construct a false reality and speak false words. Let's, let's keep reading here. Jeremiah 29, verse 8. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets... And your diviners who are among you deceive you, and do not listen to the dreams that they dream, for it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. Let's drop down to verse 15 now. Because you have said, the Lord has raised up prophets for us in Babylon. Thus says the Lord concerning the king who sits on the throne of David and concerning all the people who dwell in the city, your kinsmen who did not go out with you into exile. Thus says the Lord of hosts, behold, I am sending on them sword, famine, and pestilence, and I will make them like vile figs that are so rotten they cannot be eaten. I will pursue them with sword, famine, pestilence, and I will make them a horde to all the kingdoms of the earth to be a curse, a terror, a hissing, and a reproach among all the nations where I've driven them, because they did not pay attention to my words, declares the Lord, that I persistently sent to you by my servants the prophets, but you would not listen, declares the Lord. Hear the word of the Lord, all you exiles, whom I sent away from Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, concerning Ahab, the son of Kaliah, and Zedekiah, the son of Masai, who are prophesying a lie to you in my name. Behold, I will deliver them into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and he shall strike them down before your eyes. Because of them, this curse shall be used by all the exiles from Judah in Babylon. The Lord make you like Zedekiah and Ahab, whom the king of Babylon roasted in the fire. Because you, because they have done an outrageous thing in Israel, they have committed adultery with their neighbors' wives, and they have spoken in my name lying words that I did not command them. I am the one who knows, and I am witness, declares the Lord. And finally, skip down to the end of the chapter now. Look at verse 30. Here's, here's a third guy who's in trouble. Then the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah, Send to all the exiles, saying, Thus says the Lord concerning Shemei of Nehalem, Because Shemei had prophesied to you when I did not send him, and has made you trust in a lie... 
Therefore, thus says the Lord, Behold, I will punish Shemei Nehalem and his descendants. He shall not have anyone living among this people, and he shall not see the good that I will do to my people, declares the Lord, for he has spoken rebellion against the Lord. Okay, so let's think about this for a second. If you are one of these exiles, and you get taken away in this wave, but, you know, there's still a king uh, who's reigning in Jerusalem, and there's still a bunch of Jews living in Judea, uh, what kind of a message do you think that you're going to want to hear? Uh, I, I think you're probably going to want to hear, you know what, this, this exile's not going to last long at all. You know, it's, it's going to be over in a jiffy, in the blink of an eye, we're going to get to go back home, Nebuchadnezzar's going to go poof, Babylon's going to crumble. You know, and, and as it turns out, that very message was what people were prophesying in the name of the Lord. But if you go back uh, one chapter to chapter 28 of Jeremiah, you'll find a man named Hanani who is in Judea, and he's prophesying, it's going to be two years, and the yoke's going to be broken. But Jeremiah was running around town with a wooden yoke around his neck as a sign to the people of what was going to happen. Hananiah just waltzed up to Jeremiah. He grabbed the yoke, and he took it off Jeremiah, and he broke it in front of the people and said, this is what is actually going to happen. And and so apparently there are others who are, are prophesying the same thing. But, um, but Jeremiah says, no, the truth, the truth is it's going to be 70 years, guys. 70 years, which means for some of those Jews who were listening to that message, we're not going to live to see the end of that exile. Our kids are, but we're not. Um, it's not going to be two years. It's not going to be quick and easy. Um, and so in chapter 29, we read about three different false prophets who all had serious consequences come to them because they were speaking words and constructing a false reality and making the people believe things that were not the case. Um, and so why why is God so hard on these guys? Um, I have no doubt that they were preaching uplifting messages uh, to the people. But just because a message sounds encouraging, it's not helpful if it's not true. And just because somebody writes something that resonates with me that doesn't make that message true, it just means somebody else is thinking the same way that I am. People who live in exile, people who live in discomfort, people who live in a a world that is not uh, the way it should be, you know, we are going to want to hear messages that make us more comfortable in the foreign environment in which we live. And it's not wrong to try to make sense out of your life and what's going on around you, but it is wrong to casually say things or write things or repeat things that are not true. You know, Jesus says in Matthew twelve thirty six, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. And, and just as a personal side note for me, that's why being a Bible teacher is such an awesome responsibility for me and, and any other imperfect person who tries to take this perfect word and explain it to other people. 
you know, the book of James tells me that on the day of judgment, God's going to hold Bible teachers to a stricter judgment. Um, and so we, we just need to be careful. You know, because of the Internet, we have access to any opinion invented by the mind of man. We can watch any video. We can read any article we want to, regardless of whether it's worth listening to or not. And as Christians, we got to remember that our enemy is called the father of lies in John 8. But we are in the business of thinking true things about ourselves, about other people, about the state of the world, reading true things, and speaking true things to other people. And if we take a very casual approach to digesting information that we're picking up from who knows where around us, then my concern is that we're going to use that same casual approach when we're reading God's words. I mean, this book that we're studying, this is the truth of the world and and everything around us. But if if this is just kind of how we're used to thinking and talking and reading, then we're going to carry that over to the Bible as well. So we got to we got to be on guard for that. So don't construct a false reality and speak false words. The third point, the last point that I'll make before we wrap this up, is from verses ten through fourteen. And this is this really encouraging note here. Remember God's long term plan for His holy people. Let's read this together. Verses ten through fourteen. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare, plans for shalom, plans for peace, and not for evil to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I've driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. I'm going to guess that if you have a passage underlined or marked up in your Bibles um, in chapter 29, it's probably going to be verse 11, because verse 11 is just one of those classic coffee cup verses, uh, because it's got a comforting message. But I think it's often been misunderstood by many people who read this. Because in, in our Western culture, we read this and we think individually. We think, oh, it's talking about me. God's plans for me. But God's actually talking about his plan to, to bless the whole group of God's people. And th- think about from the perspective of, of the Jews, this must have been so encouraging for them. Because from their viewpoint, it looked like God was done with them. I mean, he, he made this promise to David about an everlasting throne and all these good things to come but but the people are going into exile and David's descendants are going to be sitting in jail cells but this passage in which God says no I'm not done with you I am going to restore you 
I have these long-term plans for your good. This became an anchor for the Jewish exiles. And I know that because of Daniel 9. Because if you go, you read Daniel chapter 9, verse 2, as a really, really old man at the beginning of the Persian rule, Daniel says in Daniel 9, 2, he perceived in the books the number of years that according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. Isn't that neat? That the prophets read each other. Um, Daniel read this passage that we're studying this morning. And Daniel used that as the foundation of his prayer for God to restore the Jews back to their homeland. And God did, as he said he was going to do, he allowed the Jews to go back home after 70 years. But we know from reading the Bible that, and just from kind of looking around us, that not every Jew went back to Israel um, and those that did had a really difficult time of it. So I believe we're still waiting to see the full scope of how this passage is going to be revealed, that someday God is going to truly bring all his people together into a promised land. Think about how this applies to us. And think about plans, because God says here, I've got plans. I, I have no doubt that some of us could probably speak for a long time about COVID plans. You know, um, maybe plans that your company or your business or your employer has been making uh, plans that the state and national governments are, are making, have made, and those seem to be changing. And maybe you're really up on how those are changing. Uh, plans that your personal family has made, plans that you have made individually. But how many of us could speak for a long time about God's plans for a new creation and what that's going to be like and, and how that's going to happen? Um, how can we speak from the prophets about that? Amen. God has plans for this world. Do we know what those are or do we just kind of have this vague idea that we're just going to go to heaven after Jesus returns. That is true. But have we soaked our minds in the richness of what Scripture says about how he's going to remake the world and what it's going to look like? So, in conclusion, we're coming back to this main idea that I want us to leave this lesson with. That we as Christians are supposed to seek Jesus in our exile because he is our only true security. I'm going to suggest that when you, when you look at um, Jeremiah 29, 13 and 14, where he says, you're going to seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart and I'm going to be found by you. That, those verses lie at the very heart of this whole chapter because think about it. Why did the Jews go into exile in the first place? Why did they get sucked out by Nebuchadnezzar and the Assyrians to begin with? Well, it's because they didn't seek the Lord with all of their heart. And they weren't looking for him, and they weren't asking him to, to be in their lives. But God said there's going to come a day where you will um, 
and restore you to myself. Amen. And if you go to chapter 31, just a little bit down the road here in Jeremiah, chapter 31, 31 through 34, that's where God says there's a new covenant coming. It's not going to be like the old one. Um, everybody in this new covenant is going to know the Lord and is going to care about what he says and, and what's in his heart. But I want to I want to also just go back to verse 13 here, where Jeremiah said, you will seek me and find me. Does that ring a bell with any passage in the New Testament that that Jesus perhaps said? Uh, if you go to Matthew chapter 7, that's exactly the kind of thing that Jesus says when he says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find knock and the door will be open to you for everyone who asks receives the one who seeks finds and the one who knocks will be open well ask for what a bmw uh a new house knock for what no relationship restored relationship with him that's what he's talking about in matthew 7 and as it as it happens also in Matthew 7, Jesus warns about people who speak false words. Matthew seven fifteen, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. So we have a choice to make. We can choose the way of Jesus or the way of the false prophets. And what I want to do is end with um, Peter Peter 1, 19. If you, if you read First Peter, right off the bat, Peter addresses his letter to exiles. Because that's who we are as Christians. And First uh, Peter 1, 17 through 19 says this. If you call on him as a father, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. You boil down this sermon to its basic fundamental point. This is what we come away with. Seek Jesus in your exile. Because he is our only true security. Amen. Despite our technology problems, I appreciate everybody trying their best to pay attention to God's words. We'll now go to our our second uh, part of uh, this worship.